Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I say this every week. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. We always talk about gifts, passions. If you have a gift, lead with your gift. And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My interviews on Money Making Conversations are with celebrities, CEOs, and entrepreneurs. My next guest is, uh, I'm going to call him a good friend. Because off air, man, we've been laughing and talking about food. Pastor Mike McClure, Jr. He's the senior pastor at Rock City Church in Birmingham, Alabama. As an artist, Pastor Mike has garnered three stellar awards, most notably Artist of the Year. Don't sleep on that now. Artist hey. of the Year at the 2021 Stellar Awards. His crossover single, I Got It, was number one on gospel radio in four weeks consecutively, 23 weeks on R&B charts. Pastor Mike will be... Closing ceremony performer, closing ceremony performer, along with other national acts for the World Games 2022 in Birmingham, y'all. See, I didn't That's even know right. that. That's why I got him on the show. I didn't even know that. The World Games is an international sports event held every four years in the same year following each Summer Olympic Games. Staged over 11 days, the game represents the pinnacle of competition for 3,600 of the world's best athletes in 30 different unique sports. The World Games, World Games generates worldwide exposure, but also we're here to talk about the world are exposed to Pastor Mac generate down there in Birmingham. See, all people, everybody try to push you to a big city. Got to go to L.A., got to go to New York, got to go to Chicago. Now everybody tell you to go to Atlanta. He two hours down the road from Atlanta and tearing it up, tearing it up. Let's go. Come on, he's down there building his dream, and that's what this show is about, building your dream. Please work with the Money Making Conversation, Pastor Mike McClure, Jr., Big bro, I am so excited to be here. And I know I love how you said it. Everybody always tries to push you to Atlanta, to L.A., to Nashville. I'm a firm believer that you should bloom where you're planted. And we're winning right here from Birmingham, Alabama. So I'm excited to be here. And hopefully I get my picture on that wall real soon. Come on now, How about come that? on. See, first of all, we, we got a long interview because we're going to laugh about some stuff. Because I want to point some things out to some people about that. You know, if you don't have a, a talent or a gift, I don't care where you move. Nobody's going to recognize it or appreciate it. That's right. I remember That's right. when I when I did stand-up comedy, I was based out of Houston, Texas. That's where I'm born and raised, Houston, Texas. I moved to New York. And then I moved to L.A. I, did, I was doing television and everything. Then all yeah. of a sudden when I was in L.A., Pastor Mike, I decided, you know something, I'm going to go back to Houston and I'm going to become the biggest star I could be or can wow. be in Houston. And I did. I opened a comedy club, just blew up. And guess what? I got uh, I got cast in Jason's lyrics and then I got brought back by Steve Harvey to write on his first oh, wow. sitcom. ABC's wow. Me and the Boys. So by moving back to Houston, where people said I would not become a star, I went there, became a star, and guess what? People moved, came and got me. They got me for, they saw my talent. So sometimes understanding what you're trying to do in life, you don't necessarily have to move to achieve success, but you have, a, have to have a plan. And that's what's why you're successful in Birmingham, because you have a plan, Pastor Mike. Let's talk about that. Absolutely, man. I believe planning is absolutely critical. You know, um, what's so incredible, even when you look biblically, God says, uh, let there be light in there was, let there be flying things in there was. Before he put a steward in place, he had a plan. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. He says, I cannot put man in place if he has no assignment. And I'm with you, man. So many people were telling me, man, you need to go to Atlanta. You need to go to L.A. Mm -hmm. I had a plan. I had a strategy. And I believe first things you have to understand is what is your unique assignment? Because what this is what I discovered. I don't want to go too churchy, Mm -hmm. but favor isn't always geographical. Just because you're special in Birmingham, if I go to Atlanta, there are a million Pastor Mike Mm Juniors. So you have to win where you are, man. So I'm excited about that. And I really believe uh, that the best is yet to come. Well, you know, I was talking to my boy, Todd Delaney. I call him. Yeah, I call him the church outlaw. (laughs) 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 Because I, I tell him to just be himself. You know, because so That's many right. people try to def- give a definition of ch- what ch- the Bible is, what church is, why you're supposed to go to church. Church is where your belief, if your belief is 100% or 100, it, it's, it's where, it want, where you want to worship. Church plays an important role in that. But important in, in, in being that you have been, your congregations have been huge, Pastor Mike. Yeah. And, yeah. You, and so, but you didn't just get there overnight. When did you realize what you were doing, your sermon, your message was starting to be related to by not just a few, but thousands? I think the first thing we have to understand is that when people are trying to be successful, the first thing you have to understand is the origin of success. Since I was a kid, people have been telling me there's something different about you. So for me, it was singing solos with my father. I had the largest youth ministry in the state of Alabama. You know, I was drawing seven, eight, nine hundred young people on a Monday night in my dad's church for youth church. You know, so when we started the church at 25, I held a spaghetti dinner downstairs in my dad's basement. I held a, I brought, invited about 50 or 60 people down and uh, I shared my vision. We raised about $12,000 that night. I paid my rent up for six months. Mm-hmm. I bought my sound equipment with the other half and we said, let's see God. I knew we had something special when people just started coming out of nowhere. If I can give you the fast forward version, because we don't have all day, I know that. 2009, I'm going to say 10 people show up. 2010, close to 1,000. 2011, it's over 6,000 people in the Boutwell to the point where the fire marshal is stopping, has to stop letting people in. And that's when it hit me. I said, man, we're doing something special. And I believe so many times uh, we miss on being who God called us to be Mm -hmm. because we're bent on doing what we want to be. That's why I tell everybody, uh, church is absolutely vital. Like you said, man, it's absolutely vital for our development, but your relationship with God is more important. And sadly, people limit their relationship with God on where they go physically. That I believe that if your relationship with God is tight, we learned during the pandemic, I can have church wherever I am. Absolutely. And and, and church has always been the forefront of to a lot of people for crisis, you know. That's right. They, yeah. you, know, they, you know, like they always say, you know, when you, when you you can't find God when you're doing good, but when you're doing bad, That's you right. find Him all the time. It's that, <laughs> it's, that, it's, that, it's that classic card, Hallmark card. When you know, when you you're walking and doing the doing the doing the uh, doing, doing, doing the time, you you see two footprint, four footprints, and then yeah. you see two footprints when you don't when you when you're doing bad. And they said, God, when I'm you. doing bad, I don't see two prints. He said, I'm carrying you. That's I'm right. carrying you through those hard times. And that's what that's really right. what you're doing with your life in Birmingham. You're carrying people. But pandemic was a hard time for a lot of people. And, it's, and guess what? It ain't over with. That's right. It, it has been it, it has it is is germinated to a Delta variant now. So how do you deal with your congregation? Because the, the you know, church doors were shuttered. You know, you couldn't go in there. It was mandated nationally. How did you and how are you dealing with that whole Safety of the congregation versus generating the word of God to your same congregation. 
Well, uh, we were the first church in the state of Alabama to close our doors before it was a mandate. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wednesday before everything broke loose, the Holy Spirit led on my heart, Michael, get ahead of this thing. I shut my doors and, uh, of course, pastors and churches began to ridicule me because they said, this boy don't have any faith. I believe there's a thin line between faith and foolishness. And sometimes foolishness puts on faith's clothes. If you're not careful, you will call something faith that's really foolish. Mm-hmm. And then in my heart, I felt the need to just kind of get ahead of it. And so during this pandemic, I want to say this and I want to be as sensitive as possible. And the words of that beautiful author, it was the best of times, but it was also the worst of times. We lost lives. Things were difficult. But in the midst of a pandemic, um, God blessed me to have two number one songs. Big went number one, stayed on the chart for 10 weeks. The second year, I got it, went on the charts, stayed on the charts for uh, four weeks. I won five Stella Awards in a pandemic. We had over 6,000 people give their life to Christ virtually during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So during the pandemic, I thought it was a nationwide reset. It caused everybody to reexamine what was important, who was important. Mm -hmm. Have I gotten better or have I gotten worse? So we are still virtual, although so many people are saying, man, come back, open the doors, open the doors. Mm -hmm. As for me, because thousands of people come to our church, I just feel the need to be responsible, you know, and say, hey, although you guys want to come back. Let's just be patient. Let's see what's happening with the Delta variant. Mm -hmm. And the moment I set a return date, lo and behold, Alabama had led the way, the number one place in the country where we had ran out of hospital beds, Mm -hmm. we had ran out of uh, ICU units. So I just think it's all about being responsible and not being dogmatic about my approach to church. I think that's where we're separating. The methodology of everybody's different. Just because your church is open and mine is closed doesn't make you right or make me wrong. It's what's best for you and what you believe. But I also believe we see a trend, if we be honest, that although church doors are open, people aren't in a hurry to return at the rate in which they were before. So I think it's just not being dogmatic in our methodology concerning our Christology. Well, let's let's talk about, uh, we, we talk about philosophies. We talk uh-huh. about watching you do your thing. Because we got a lot to talk about. You know, you, you threw out, I got it. We talk about, uh-huh. we talk about the world games. But first of all, I just want to talk about you and the whole principle of, understanding your truths because I had to you know I would tell people it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I I figured it out for Rashawn McDonald Pastor Mike that's right and so a lot of people shy away from that when they hit a certain number they think that that's it and I tell people you can figure it out at 50 you can figure it out at 60 but try to figure it out before you leave Okay. That's right. That's <laughs> and, right. And, and and so when I, when I look at what you're doing with your church and with with people coming at you, what is the most uh because because you said something about the pandemic, you said Rashawn, I want to be insensitive, but I reset myself during the pandemic. That's I, right. I felt that I kind of caught up with my competition during the pandemic, and my staff will tell you I was planning when I came out of country because I do a lot of live events, so I was mm-hmm. planning to to win as soon as you gave me the. Go. And so, yeah. so do not ever consider that an insensitive because what people learn about pandemic is that there are no handouts. And guess what? Yeah. It it put a lot of people equal. It told a lot of people who were successful, they became frustrated because they didn't have a plan. It made restaurants realize that carry out is the way to go. It made black yeah. people understand the value of technology. Hear me again, black people. Yeah. Black people yeah. understood the value of technology, even though it was resisting it. Even older generations understood the value of technology instead of dogging out millennials. And so That's it right. really leveled a lot of thought processes. And so when you when you come around as to what you're doing, when I was reading your bio, you gave us you gave us some free music there now. 
you you dropped a free <laughs> CD, and I'm going like, okay, pandemic was that good to you? Come on now. <laughs> hey man, I, I believe I believe, and and since we're talking money making conversations, I train. I have about thirteen hundred people that I teach monthly on entrepreneur and creativity, mm-hmm. uh, and what I'm trying to get them to realize sometimes is as African Americans, so many times everything about what we do business-wise and entrepreneurially is about paying the next bill, mm-hmm. not setting ourselves up for legacy. You know, I told my class the other day, I said, man, if you got a lawn company, I tell you what, go knock on two doors and tell them, hey, I want to be a blessing and cut these two yards for free. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee the person across the street going to ask, who did that? Mm-hmm. That's called free marketing. So for me, uh, giving away free music was my opportunity to say, hey, guys, here's a chance to believe in me. Mm-hmm. And the response was crazy, man. I believe people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And the pandemic exposed a lot, you know? Uh, I believe uh, I believe I was born in one year. I'll die in another year. Mm-hmm. It's the dash in the middle that matters. And if I can give your listeners something that's special, life isn't about duration. It's about donation. I'm mm-hmm. going to say that again. Mm-hmm. It's not about duration. It's about donation. It's not about how long you live, but how strong you live. You mm-hmm. know, everybody has length. Nobody has strength. Mm-hmm. So what the pandemic was, it, 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 it broadened your perspective on your impact and your influence. Mm-hmm. You do a Amazing live shows, mm-hmm. you know, and there would be some trepidation. I wonder if it'd be the same. Would it translate virtually? Mm-hmm. And here we are now virtually. And what's crazy is you took a corner of the room. And if they look at the corner of the room, they went to the shot that they have on your arm. Um, if your team would go to the camera shot now where you're sitting there, and they can see me behind you on the screens. You have four TVs, five TVs in a shot. You have some picture <laughs> frames. You turn a corner into a live set. Mm-hmm. that can compete with every talk show in America <laughs> right there from your spot. Yeah. That's being creative. Yes, yes. And I believe what we have to do as African-Americans, especially when resources oftentimes don't flow down. It was Malcolm X who said, when America catches a cold, black America gets pneumonia. So a lot of times when America gets creativity, black America is often 20 years behind the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I believe what this pandemic has done for us, it's given us the ability to be creative because if we ain't nothing else as black people we creative creative. yes oh my god you give us a little you give us the end of a pig we'll turn it into chitlins and everything you give us scraps we'll turn it into soul foods Mm -hmm. because i believe in our in dna we are creative so to me man i always say i don't want to be insensitive because i want to be mindful that people lost loved ones during the pandemic i had to do virtual funerals Mm -hmm. during a pandemic so while yes many of us were winning a lot of people were losing but i believe it's finding a way to um embrace the wholeness of what we all went through i'm gonna tell you something man Uh, you and i man we're gonna do some live events together because see (laughs) i'm gonna tell you something seriously pastor mike i see i see the uh mercedes benz i receive that me and you let's go every seat gone all seventy thousand. Seriously. 70,000. I received that. I'm, just, I'm being real about you, you know, because I'm, yes, I'm coming to Alabama September 11th for my HBCU college day tour. Oh, um, that's going to be cold. Go, go to, you know, from 10 to 6, you know, I got the U.S. Air Force, Air Force Reserve, Air National Guard. I got the National Football League. I got Coca-Cola Bottlers United. All those coming. I got, I, got, uh, I got 14 HBCUs. It's a career fair. It's a wow. job fair. And it's a college fair for HBCUs, all free. 
See, that's wow. why I know we're going to connect. And so, yeah. so I'm like I said, I just got to bring it up because of the fact I'm hearing your tone, and it's about giving back. It's about you know holding an opportunity for the next man or the next woman, and that's what my Big HBCU bro. college fair is about. That, that's what it's all about. In my city, we gave away $1.3 million worth of medical debt relief. So I paid off $1.3 million worth of medical bills for every person in our city who was struggling with past due medical bills. We've given away over $60,000 worth of free gas, bought multiple homes, cars, everything. And everybody says, why are you doing this? I remember, see, I made God a promise. If we was live, the whole stadium would be going crazy right now. Because <laughs> I made God a promise sitting on the curve in the hood when I said, we used to play a game called bingo. You remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah, a mm-hmm. car would ride by, you say, bingo, that's my car. Right, I made God a promise. If you ever gave me an opportunity, I would be a blessing. And I believe from the depths of my soul, people don't care how much you know until they know how much mm-hmm. you care. And for me, giving back is what we do. And for, mm-hmm. and for you, you can see it all over you, this college tour, different things you've been doing. They don't realize this. Even writing, helping with Steve Harvey and all the th- different things you've done, that's giving of your intellectual property. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. That, that, that's what I call a residual blessing. That mm-hmm. I was sitting at home laughing at a joke or laughing at a show that I had no idea you had your hand in. You <laughs> healed people through somebody. So I'm telling you, man, I believe and I'm going to stop talking when I say this. I believe as black black Americans, I believe this, man, our culture will go to another level if we embrace collaboration versus competition. Right. Collaboration mm-hmm. versus competition. I mean this. I could be, somebody hit me the other day. They was like, man, your music career is taking off. I struck a partnership with this company called Black Smoke, Kerry Douglas. Mm-hmm. And I said, we're going to be partners in this. And they was like, well, man, be careful. Don't give away too much. I looked him in his eyes and said, brother, this is what we're going to do. Whatever I make, we're going to make 50-50 off of it. I said, this is why. I can make 100% of $10 yes, or yes. 50% of $100,000. Right, 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 right. Because collaboration is the new thing. Think about this. When mm-hmm. God made the world, he said, I can do the birds. I can do the trees. I can mm-hmm. do the monkeys. I can do the water. I mm-hmm. can do the sea. Mm-hmm. But when it came to the one thing that could generate revenue and mm-hmm. produce, which right. was man, right. he said, let us. That's collaboration, big bro. And I believe money-making conversations, tip number one from Pastor Mike Jr., is solidify your team. Yes. Yep. Solidify your team. When it comes to my team, I need attendance. Mm -hmm. I need allegiance. Mm -hmm. I need agreement. I need attendance, agreement. I need allegiance. Mm -hmm. And I need accountability. If you can give me them four, we can shake the world, man. Absolutely. And I 100% agree with you because, you know, point things, two things to point about, like this whole setup, a lot of people question, okay, why are you going to do it that way? Because sometimes you have to look past people who want, don't understand your vision and don't see the final results. That's called a visionary. Okay. But I had to have a team to create this. Got to bring them in. What y'all think? And trust them. That makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Because just because you write the check don't mean that you have to be there would make it all the final decisions because sometimes Absolutely. somebody can see something different and make your check be better and your value a lot greater. Then in October 9, 1990, I, I was I was sitting in the world. I was Because I got a lot of talent, Pastor Mike. And this is what runs into a lot of people. They go, man, you talented. What you going to do? I told God this, man. I said, God, listen, if you allow me to utilize my talents and I will give you max effort, max mm. effort, and all my yeah. talents. I said, I give you max effort. I stopped, you know, I ain't, I'm not a rapper. I'm not an athlete. I stopped trying to play basketball. I stopped trying to act like I could sing. 
Okay, out writing, producing, you know what I'm saying, branding, marketing. That's what I focused on. I stopped trying to act. And then I walked away from stand-up comedy. I said, you know something, this ain't what I do. I focused yeah. on what I do. And that's what a lot of people make a mistake on. They get caught up in the dream, but not the result. Is that dream a reality? And so in 1990, I said, God, you give me max effort? I'm going to give you max effort. And he said, look here, you give me max effort? You can accomplish your dreams. And that's through hard work, that's through relationships, that's through accomplishing things that you're not supposed to. And that's, that's what you're right. doing in your life today. That's why I love your energy, because of the fact that we are different age groups. We're living in different cities. But one thing we do share in common, faith, yeah. hard work, and yeah. relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Relationships are everything. And I want to free somebody right now because you touched on something that I think we have to kill, debunk and demystify in our culture. And that's this uh, that's this punishment of being talented in multiple areas yes. with there's a there's a remnant. Of people, I used to say a generation, but that limits us to age group. I want to say a remnant. There's a remnant <laughs> or a tribe of people that are rising who are um who have an ambidextrous anointing. Mm -hmm. They're blessed in both hands. They mm -hmm. can write and sing mm -hmm. or produce and create. Mm -hmm. You know, and I there's a quote that we say that we say wrong. It says to be a jack of all trades is to be a master of none. That's an incomplete statement because the original quote is. To be a jack of all trades is to be a master of none, but to be better than that which has one, mm -hmm. which means I may be able to do a lot of stuff and I may not master everything, but I'm better at what I do than the people who think they mastered it. There you go. And, and so for you, you said something that was critical. And, and I was talking to somebody yesterday and they was like, man, seeing you do all this stuff has to be so mind blowing. I said, I want you to succeed as a guy who's close to me. I said, I want you to succeed in music the same way I'm succeeding. But at some point you got to stop and say, God got his hand on this. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like to, to go, they told me no other artist in the history of gospel music has ever went from new artists of the year, their first year to artists of the year, their second year. Mm -hmm. You can't write that script. That's God. You know, there mm -hmm. is no, um, There, I, I tell everybody, when you look at Joel Osteen with 50,000 people pre-pandemic in an arena, there is no 50,000 person sermon. Or you look at Steve Harvey, there is no uh, 20,000 seat arena joke. Yes, yes, yes. At yes. some point, God just blesses it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think what we got to stop as black people and not and just people in general, mm -hmm. uh, we tend to we tend to downplay the writer and celebrate the speaker. Yes. Yes. So, so a lot of us are falling in love with artists who didn't even write the song. They just sunk it. Right. And don't even realize the artist broke and the person who wrote it living in a mansion somewhere. <laughs> it, it's called hey, copyright Mike. and ownership. You know? right. Hey, man, that's me, brother. Pastor Mike. You know, like I said, you don't, you might not recognize me, but guess what? Recognize. Hey. So recognize. Hey. Recognize. Hey, I mean, we may not recognize you, but when a Negro <laughs> sitting there with a shiny bald head, five TV screens, a microphone, and a smart water with a basketball and a glass case, that's Go on, Bill Russell, baby. That's Bill Russell right there, man. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay? Artist of the Year, Pastor Mike. Let's Three stellar awards, Pastor Let's Mike. Performing in the closing games of the world's games of 2022. All I can just tell you is, those honors were for 2021. When a lot of people yeah. were feeling sorry for themselves, a lot of people were complaining <laughs> about life, he was accomplishing those tasks in 2020 to be honored in 2021. And so right. I say that before we go over to the world game conversation is this. Is when is, I would, I would tell you something, man. I remember when I was on Senior Hall and 
I was writing his uh, sitcom and it, was, it got canceled. And I wore one of my best suits into mm. the building. The guy said, man, why are you all dressed up? I said, why shouldn't I be? I said, it's mm. not a sad day for me. And so a lot of people take sadness. I remember I did the eulogy for my mom and my dad wow. and my sister. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Wow, that's hard. And, and I did that because of the fact I wanted to make sure that the message of how great they were and how important they were for me and my family was told. Yes, that sir. was told. Yes, sir. And so when I look at you, the world game is 2022. That didn't come about based on something you did last year. That was just like you were saying. Joel Osteen used to write used to write the, uh, the the sermons for his dad. That's how he didn't want to preach. He, he didn't want to preach. He started Absolutely. writing it, and when his dad suddenly passed away, he was pushed to the forefront and was ready. Steve Harvey, didn't, he didn't want to do Family Feud. That wasn't his option wow. because he didn't want to be a traffic cop. And they turned him and made him the greatest star on television in America today. Now, look yeah. at you. World Games wasn't part of your journey. But guess what? When the opportunity to present itself, you didn't run from it. Tell us about the World Games. Tell about your role in it. Pass the mic, and let's keep talking. I'm I'm so excited about the World Games. They come around every four years after the Summer Games. Man, I'm telling you, it is so incredible. And I want to read this to you because I want to make sure I get this right. I want you to catch this. There are six categories of sports competitions, man. And I'm telling you, what's so incredible about the World Games is all the people that come from across the world. Over 3,600 Athletes will com- will converge on Birmingham, Alabama, from air sports to archery to billers to gymnastics. This was so important to me because I have four boys. My top three boys play football. They're starting on the football team. Mm-hmm. My third son, my middle son, Michael, is um, is on the spectrum of autism. He has Asperger's syndrome. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times in the African-American community, when we speak sports, it's either football or basketball. Mm-hmm. Football basketball, right. music. Mm-hmm. I was able to look at him. We have a pool table downstairs. He's falling in love with pool. I said, Mike, guess what? He said, what, dad? You can get an Olympic medal for billards. The world games is so vital to our culture. I'm telling you, right. the entire world is coming to Birmingham, Alabama. It's a new generation of sports. We get a chance to witness history, a once in a lifetime event. Look at this. I want to get this right. <laughs> there will be 200 plus medal competitions at the world games in 2022. And many of the events are the sports world championship. That's critical. Take for instance, the female team, USA baseball, softball team. Mm-hmm. They're competing now, but they will also be competing at the World Games. It's such an honor. And to somebody who's dreaming big right now, I never in my life thought I would be a part of the World Games. Here's what's crazy, uh, big bro, if you catch this. They asked me to perform on the closing ceremony of the World Games and help with the opening ceremony of the World Games. But before they ever asked me that, they asked me to be an ambassador for the World Games. And I want you to catch this. Not because of the songs I sing, not because of the Billboard chart placements, not because of the Stellar Awards, but because I've been spending the last 12 years in my city loving people. Yes. And I want to submit to somebody right now, you are so busy trying to blow up that God will oftentimes check your motives. Let me give you this lesson and I'm going to let you go. Okay, here it is. God has two jobs. He either exalts or he humbles. Mm. (laughs) I'm going to say it again. Either God exalts or he humbles. Make that make sense, Pastor Mike. If you humble yourself, God will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, God will humble you. And one thing I love about what you're saying, man, with all that you've done, and I really feel 
I've not just gained a friend or a big brother, but I've gained a mentor and an advisor who I can run some stuff by and say, yes. nah, young blood, chill yes. right there. Because you give me something, and I want all your listeners to catch it. These are money-making decisions. You give me something I can't pay for, which is speed. Mm-hmm. If you're able to give me advice about everything you learned in 30 years and 30 minutes, mm-hmm. I just gained the speed of moving at a pace <laughs> that I normally couldn't move at. Yes. So for me, man, like you said, working with the World Games is such an honor. Shout out to our mayor, uh, Randall um, Wolfen, who was just reelected to the entire board, reelected to the entire board, the entire committee, who's absolutely phenomenal. Birmingham, Alabama is being put on a national stage, and we will not disappoint. From building a new stadium to upgrading uptown, downtown is beautiful. We're renovating all over the place. Go get your tickets because it's going down at the world game. We shutting it down in Birmingham, Alabama. Hey, Pastor Mike, man. First of all, man, I, I got to come because we got to do Dreamlands and we got to hey, do Rodney hey, Scott. Okay, Rodney Scott. We gonna go either way. We go. We gonna just go. What we gonna do? What we gonna do? I got, right? I got, we'll do I got another right? one for you. I got. I got another one for you. Okay. Uh huh. And a and a place called Yo Mama. Okay. If you go to Yo Mama. <laughs> it's gonna make you. Slap your mouth. <laughs> anyway, Pastor Mike, man, thanks for coming on Money Making Conversations, brother. I appreciate thank you, man. You so much. Uh, we I will thank see you each so other. Much. You, you're a blessing, brother. And this, uh, I, this show has allowed me to meet so many new friends, man, and, and so many people that I have started to mentor because I've told everybody, man, I'm not going to leave this world with knowledge that I can share. And I'm not gonna if I if you take a if you take my information and make a million dollars with it, it's your money, it's your dream. Cause I couldn't do it. So that's what the blessings of me being in your life is that I'm not here to gain, I'm here to give. And understand that. Cool. Uh thank you for coming to Money Making Conversation. We will be right back with more money making conversation with Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations with your daily minute of inspiration. I sat down with my new friend, Ryan Morgan. Despite being incarcerated for a bank robbery at 19 years old, he used his education and athleticism to become the founder and CEO of Aqua Equity Water. Here's what Ryan Morgan had to say. I grew up in San Bernardino, which is uh, inner city, much like Watts or Oakland, a lot of projects a lot of poverty and therefore a lot of the gangs you feel like when you're in the inner city and it's in a it's a misconception and, and this is what we're trying to expose that to bring truth and light but you feel like you have limited options to where either to make money i gotta play sports or i gotta do some illegal and hustle because i don't have another avenue for me to help get out of this poverty uh and this hardship in this inner city if you want to hear this full interview with ryan morgan it's available on moneymakingconversations.com now let's return to Money-Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Chef Ed McFarland. Ed is the executive chef and owner of Ed's Lobster Bar, located in Soho and Sag Harbor. Ed's Lobster Bar has been open for over 14 years in New York City. New York City is one of my favorite cities, y'all. Just letting y'all up front. So I'm about to go back home here a little bit, and I'm from Houston, Texas, born and raised. And it's an upscale fish restaurant that specializes in lobster. You hear me? Lobster, 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 lobster. Don't, there, don't go there trying to get no chicken. Lobster, lobster, lobster. He grew up in an American 
American Italian household in Brooklyn and Staten Island and got his feet wet as a teenager working in red sauce Italian restaurants and pizzerias. So it's only natural to find such dishes as lobster raviola and lobster, lobster meatballs on the menu at Ed's Lobster Bar. To this day, there are no restaurants who focus on making lobster the star of the show. Well, they the star of the show at Ed's Lobster Bar. Come on now. He's a successful restaurant entrepreneur. He's also talk about building your dream. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, the ultimate authority on lobster, Chef Ed McFarlane. How you doing, Ed? <laughs> Very good. So happy to be here with you today. This is fantastic. And I uh, appreciate your time and, and wonderful, wonderful accolades that you gave me. I'm only hoping that I live up to the image you just portrayed of me. Well, you know, let, let's talk about, because a lot of people get into business, even even a specialty can be a curse, but also can lead you around the right path of success. Because you can open a restaurant and try to be good at a lot of things. What made you make the decision that lobster, which some people may perceive to be expensive, uh, out of their price range when they look at the menu, it's not like it's shrimp, it's not like it's cod or some or catfish. Why did you settle on lobster? You know, it's interesting because when I was working in restaurants, I had an affinity to cook fish. I really enjoyed the delicateness and I really enjoyed the fact that you didn't have to do a lot to it. The flavor is all about the lobster itself. So for me, it was about one of my mantras, which is always keep it simple. And I like to keep all of my stuff simple and let the ingredients speak for itself. So for me, lobster was just a natural choice. It was a very niche specific item. It is expensive and it continues to get more expensive as the years go on and, you know, for various reasons. But the one thing I really love about it is nobody was exploring all the different things you could do with it. And it really is an untapped market, you know, right. other than lobster rolls, which you can find everywhere now, you're not seeing people make true lobster raviolis where it's just lobster in the ravioli. Mm -hmm. You're not seeing people make lobster meatballs. You don't see lobster nachos everywhere. We do a lobster ramen now where we get unbelievable flavor in the broth from lobster stock and reductions. So I really just wanted to exploit that. Mm -hmm. uh, factor that nobody's experimenting with it because it does end up being an expensive ingredient, especially if you don't get stuff right. And, you know, you don't get everything right on the first try. You're really experimenting and doing all different things until you get the dish right. You know, it's not like I threw together the lobster meatball together in the first try. It was perfect. Right. So and, and the same thing with the lobster ramen. So your R&D tends to get a little expensive as as you're working on it. <laughs> well, so. you, you know, I, I can always tell you when I uh, when when you're eating good food, and all lobster is not the same. I mean, that's why I wanted to interview you because of the fact that we have so many. You, know, you have lobster on different coasts. You have lobster that, that that some people say is tender. I've eaten lobster in Hawaii, which they say is a little sweeter. So I'm talking to the authority, and and this is really a, some serious question I'm asking you because I want to educate my audience as well as educate myself on how do you. Why is it different taste for lobster in different parts where you buy it? And also, is it is, is the texture change? Does it change in the type of water that a, a lobster is raised versus free versus, uh, you know, bought in, you know, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a in a cultivated environment? Is there a difference in the lobster? So there's, there's a huge difference in lobster. First, 
nobody's farm raising lobster. So we'll just throw that out of the equation. It's too expensive to farm raise. Mm -hmm. It's much, it's much cheaper, even, even at the high prices for, for the lobster to be wild caught. They've done experiments um, where they've tried to raise lobsters to a pound and a half. It's just too time consuming and and too much money. It just takes too many years. Mm -hmm. They do, however, hatch them in Maine and up in the Northeast for the, what is, in my opinion, the greatest lobster, which is the North American lobster, what we tend to call Maine lobster. They do pull the lobsters visibly showing eggs out of the water, bring them to hatcheries, They'll hatch them and distribute them across rocky ocean bottom so they have the best chance of survival. But there is a big difference in the lobster. You know, our lobsters here that we use at Ed's and the traditional Maine lobster that you get on the northeast in Canada as well that we have for lobster rolls. We're using tail, knuckle and claw, uh, although most lobster rolls use knuckle and claw meat exclusively. There is a difference. Our Our lobster is from colder, sweeter water. When you're using the uh, rock lobsters that you find uh, across South America, uh, South Africa, Australia, mm-hmm. and Florida, stuff like that, where you know the guys are diving down and pulling up these beautiful big lobsters, right. you're, just, you're just eating the tails. Uh, in my opinion, the the meat tends to be a little tougher. Uh, not that they're not delicious. You wouldn't use them for a lobster roll. Um, if we're talking specifically lobster rolls, one of the biggest differences you would find in the product that you're getting is whether people are cooking lobsters where we cook and chill all of our own lobster meat in-house or they're buying the stuff out of the processing plants at, that comes from the main shedders. And, you know, I don't know how in detail you want me to, to talk about that shedding season is when you kind of if you've ever taken a whole lobster and you right. can crush it with your hands. Right. That's, that's a shedder. And the shedders can be very sweet, but there's also less meat in the shell. But what happens is they'll send those to the processing plants because they don't live a long time out of the water and they can't withstand the shipping. Um, so what will happen with those is they'll go to processing plants. And that's the traditional stuff you see when you're on the main coast or you're getting a less expensive lobster roll and the texture is kind of weird and stringy, that's because the meat's been frozen already. And that's how you kind of know the difference in in the Northeast lobster. If you get that beautiful lobster and it's big chunks and you're biting it kind of like what we do here and some of the other places that I've worked at across New York City before I opened my own place, or you go to like the shack type style place and you're taking a lobster roll to go and you'll notice the meat's a little stringy or it's more watery. That's because they're using the frozen lobster meat. And that's kind of the more traditional way to make it because it's the less expensive way than having labor where somebody's busting lobster out of the shell all day. And that's their that's their job. Well, the whole thing is the experience. Now, Ed, the experience is the restaurant experience going in there great and great food. Go get to the menu because I'm a foodie. I got to get to the menus, especially yeah. when we're talking about the, you know, the tortilla chips and the pica de gallo and the lobster cheese sauce <laughs> and the chopped lobster <laughs> and the cilantro. You know, I got to get there because I, yeah, I'm yeah, a nacho absolutely. guy. Nothing like lobster nacho. That's what we're about to get to in a minute. But, <laughs> the, but, the, but the experience, man, is where I really get out of a restaurant. I don't care what the food is, but if I don't get the experience of walking in and feel 
feeling, great service, the ambiance. Talk about the ambiance of your locations. I'm talking to Chef Ed McFarlane. He owns Ed's Lobster Bar, which is an institution in the New York market. He now has one outside of the city in Sag Harbor. But let's talk about the experience and why it was so important for you to create, become an authority on lobsters, but also to have the experience to be unique to your facility, to your restaurants. You know, it all starts at the top and it's important to create an atmosphere that's warm and friendly for everybody. And, you know, listen, every single restaurant is not for everybody. Uh, We specialize in something very specific. We're not a diner and not that there's anything wrong with that food, but there's places for everything and you cannot be everything to everybody. So first and foremost, we wanted to create an atmosphere that was Nantucket, meets New York City, meets Maine. So you get a little bit of the shacky element, you get a little bit of the upscale beach culture, but thrown into a casual, fast-paced New York atmosphere where you're coming in, we're very, uh, very bright, white-looking marble, stainless steel accents, and but you want to be swept away to the beach. That's the whole purpose of the concept. You're walking off of the New York City street, Mm -hmm. getting out of the hustle and bustle, and you want to be somewhere where you're welcomed in a friendly atmosphere. And, you know, that starts from the top. It's all about mindset and creating the environment that you want your customers to enjoy. And, you know, I like an environment where it's friendly, casual. You sit down at the bar, you're chatting with the bartender, you're chatting with the server, you're chatting with the people sitting next to you. And anybody could be walking through the door and we get anybody in the restaurant from, you know, the restaurant owner, chef, casual person of the city to celebrities. And everybody's in this tight little boxed in area. And <laughs> it's wonderful. You know, there's nobody's hiding in Ed's Lobster Bar. It's right. all for the open. There's no hidden booths or anything like that. And even in the new space, that's not going to exist either mm-hmm. because we're moving down the street from our old location mm-hmm. to a new corner spot, just one block down in Soho at 155 Grand Street. So, you know, it's it's all about creating an experience. It starts, it's the experience. You're right when you say you want to go in somewhere. I My staff's been with me forever the customers come back and they come back because it truly is a place where the servers do know you. But let's, let's talk about the, the beginning here. You know, you know, you wanted to be a chef because I love your personality because you're a good talker. First of all, you're a good talker. You have a great personality. So you could have been a lot of things other than a chef. Why did you, Ed, why did you become a chef? You know, it's interesting. And, and I call it my epiphany story because I had a bunch of jobs I was working in the pizzeria. I had a job working on the docks at the time. I was working at the Board of Elections in New York City as a part-time job. Right. I had just dropped out of college. Mm -hmm. And I woke up. I I woke up one morning and I went, I want to (laughs) cook. I woke up in the morning and said, I want to cook. And I went, I was, I was driving the board of elections truck. I was driving people from Staten Island to the city. Mm-hmm. And I stopped at the magazine stand while I was sitting in the truck. Cause I had to sit outside in the van and I grabbed, I said, you know what? I'm going to grab a cooking magazine. I grabbed the, I literally grabbed the issue of gourmet magazine and you know, they were gourmet. We had gourmet magazine in the house, food and wine. I never really picked them up, but I said, you know what? I'm going to culinary school. I'm going to cook. I'm going to start working in the city. I grabbed the magazine. I started flipping through it. And there was an ad in there for the French Culinary Institute. I mean, this is this is 100 percent true, unabridged version of what happened. I pulled the magazine. Boom, 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 boom. And, you know, at that time, 
Uh, we didn't have cell phones yet. Right. So the next day when I got out of bed, I picked the magazine up and I made the phone call. I made an appointment to go and see the school. Within three months, I was in school. Within nine months, I had graduated the culinary program and I was working at Pichelin in New York City. I mean, that is literally how fast it happened. But the one thing I have to say is that without knowing it, I mean, I've studied mindset now over the past couple of years, but without knowing it, my subconscious from all the years was working right. in that fashion, pushing me in that direction. And I just 10 X myself, you know, like all the self-help guys and everything all talk about 10 Xing yourself right. and massive action. I went all in. That right. was it. Boom. I decided it. I went all in within, within a couple of months. I was there mm -hmm. within six months. I was done. I was working in New York city I was working in a three-star restaurant right? and I was going to work six days a week. And if they needed me there more and they said, come, I went, right. That was it. No questions asked. I just kept showing up and showing up and showing up and putting the time in. Well, chef, I, 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 I just got to slow everybody down. First of all, when I, when I do it, when I'm doing an interview and I'm engaged, <laughs> say, just, there's a lot of chefs come out of the kitchen and talk to you, you know, these restaurants. Now your behind come out. I want you to sit down. How do, do you engage? Uh, you, I'm, I'm saying a stupid question. Because I know you do. The customers have to love you, man. They, you have to have a loyal base. When you come out, they, they probably put it, you probably put people's, a smile on people's face because they know you love the business. They know you're passionate about the food. They know you're an expert. And you're a celebrity, too, because you appear on TV all the time. You judge on different shows and things like that. How do your customers react to you? Because you are, I like to say, a celebrity, but also you are a down-to-earth guy because this personality... I can see myself walking in the pizza pizzeria. You go, hey, hey, hey! <laughs> I can see that happening to you. It's, it's it has to be a fun atmosphere at Ed's Lobster. You know what? It has to be, and you know what? It's all about smiles on people's faces, and it starts with the staff smiling. Smiling staff makes customers smile. But I talk to customers all the time. I love engaging. It's hard to get me to sit down. I don't stay still for that very long. But if you're sitting at the bar, mm -hmm. I'm happy to go stand behind the bar and chat with you and. <laughs> And, and have a drink and, uh -huh. and kind of discuss whatever you want. And, and it's interesting. You know, I've, I've always tried to take the ego out of it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and and it gets hard sometimes. And I'm not a big ego guy. And mm -hmm. that's one of the things I've kept out of the restaurant is that, you know, like this is an industry full of egos. Uh, servers have egos. Cooks have egos. Bartenders have egos. Mm -hmm. Chefs have egos. Managers have egos. And, you know, if, if it comes from the top where it's not about one individual, but it's about the whole success of the of the staff together, it really changes the way things go. And, and I get people come in and they go, chef, take a picture with me. Sure, no problem. I have people <laughs> that I know who look at me and go, are you really taking a picture with somebody? And, you know, and I know you're videotaping me, but this is what they get. Double thumbs. <laughs> yes, I'm taking a picture with them yeah. because they asked me to take a picture. The people they know me, they want to break them, and and that's what they literally get. And that's that's me walking through the dining room. It's this, right. you know, go go but, stick it to yourself if you don't like it. But right. you know, I, I want it to be big. I want it to be loud. I want it. I want it to be boisterous, and I want it to reflect who I am. And you know. I'm, I'm a fun guy. I'm always joking around. I like to tone it down. I am a disruptor, right? My guys, right. you know, I, the first, 
five, six years, the restaurant was open. I cooked on the line every day, mm-hmm. lunch and dinner. Right. Then I expedited the food until I got to the point where I was comfortable and I was ready to start expanding and mm-hmm. move myself out of the mm-hmm. kitchen and be that personality outside. Mm-hmm. But my guys, man, they've been with me forever. They go, chef, get out of the kitchen because <laughs> they're cooking and it's busy. And if I'm back there, they're like, chef, stop, stop, because I'm chirping in their ear. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm disrupting them as I'm helping them put the food out and it makes it quite comical, but you know, they're getting frustrated because they got to do their job. And then they got me kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Going, what are you doing? Come on, pick up the pace. Come on, that's not the way you do that. And you know, my staff, my kitchen staff has been with me. My guys on the line. Mm-hmm. Most of them are 10 years. I've opened 14 years. Most of those guys are only 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, the servers have changed, but I still got a few people with me right. that, that have been seven, eight, nine, ten years as well out in the front of the house. So, you know, I, I've created an environment that the people do well. They want to come to work every mm-hmm. day, but you know, they 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 much prefer me out talking to the customers right. than in the back <laughs> shoving the food out of everybody. Go, no, 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 we're gonna get the food out, we're gonna get the food out. I tickets are the enemy. The I tickets on the board of the enemy. Right. I want the food off the line. Let's I, go. I love it. And you know, uh hearing the word family, I hear the word relationships and and saw what happened because of New York City became the epicenter of COVID nineteen and seeing a, a, a city I love shut down and seeing uh, Broadway shut down. How did that impact your business? Because this is family and suddenly you couldn't do what you do normal. Your energy had to change and shift out. I'm sure that was probably the most dramatic part of your life in the 14 years that you own Ed Lobster Bar in Soho. Talk to everybody about how you dealt with it emotionally. How did you woke up one day? Hey man, stop crying in your own, you know. Yeah, this is, this is this is a this is a good story because I had I had the high and the low during this period and mm-hmm. and then you know kind of build it back up and I never concerned myself with takeout as a cost center mm-hmm. I never concerned myself with the delivery apps because the restaurant was busy and I didn't think my food traveled well mm-hmm. I literally went from having customers in my restaurant to getting one order a day and it was my friend delivering food to his office. And that was my only order for the first week of COVID when we shut down. And and I said to myself, if I shut this restaurant down, I'm shutting my life down. I'm shutting down what I do. Mm -hmm. I'm shutting down who I am. And I'm shutting down where I go every day. So I refuse to close. Mm -hmm. I refuse to close. I said, I'm going to figure this out. And I doubled down my efforts. And, you know, I went back to showing up at work 8 Mm a.m. and staying until the door was locked. And I sat there with my computer out and... And I sat there with a budget, a budget calculator. Mm -hmm. And I went to my guys Mm -hmm. and in the kitchen because, you know, truly these people are family because they've been with me for so long. These aren't transient employees that work for six months and leave. Um, Most of my wait staff didn't want to work. And I honestly, I didn't have a job for them. Mm -hmm. So I kept a couple of them on and I said, listen, this is what I can afford to give you for hours. And I gave my front of house manager a few a certain amount of hours to work with Mm -hmm. and i went to my guy in the kitchen i said you know we went from i think in the kitchen from like 400 hours a week to i I gave him 140 hours and i literally said to him i'm giving you 140 hours you talk to everybody you guys divvy up the hours however you want if you want three guys to work the three guys are going to work the hours Mm -hmm. if you want to split it between everybody equally everybody's going to do it. I said, but we're getting rid of the cleaning service. Anybody who works, we're back to old school restaurant. 
Every night, everybody cleans. Every morning, everybody cleans. Everybody does every job. Everybody's a dishwasher. Everybody's a cook. Everybody's a prep guy. Everybody's packaging food to go until we figure this out. And, and I said, when, when, when we figure out how the PPP stuff's going to work and we'll make some changes at that point, but this is what I have to focus on. I have to focus on budgeting and figuring out how I'm going to stretch this money until we start to do business again. Right. And I went from, I went from doing one order a day in takeout to over the course of six weeks to doing over a hundred orders a day in takeout. Wow. Wow. And I, you know, it's just, you know what, where, and it's really true where you focus your attention is where you build. Right. Right. And as soon as we went back to opening and my attention went away from the takeout and delivery, Mm -hmm. the takeout and delivery dropped off and we started getting customers back in the restaurant. Uh Uh, But, but it was, it was really interesting. I mean, I was driving deliveries to New Jersey. I was driving deliveries to Westchester, Mm -hmm. to Brooklyn Mm -hmm. myself, Mm -hmm. because I would say like, you know what, if I had somebody that was willing to do a big order, I was going to take it to them because you know what, there's nothing more humbling than going, I have a full restaurant to having, I have one order per day. Right. Right. What am I going to do? And, and I, I kept the key people on site But it was interesting because I literally went back to working seven days a week. And, and, you know, when, when you start working seven days a week and I have family at home and I have small kids and Mm -hmm. daddy, where are you going? Daddy, where are you going? You know, they were used to me being home in the morning. Mm -hmm. I was home every morning with them, dropped them off at school Mm -hmm. and I went to work Mm -hmm. and I wasn't home anymore. I was leaving at Mm 7am and I was getting home at 10 Mm o'clock and you know, it was FaceTime phone calls, but I got to the point I worked seven days a week. It was 59 straight days. Mm -hmm. And I literally snapped like a twig. The delivery guys are outside. You know, they started, you know, the rules were ever changing for us. Mm -hmm. You could sell liquor. You couldn't, you could let people inside. You couldn't let the delivery guys inside this one mask, no mask, the whole thing. Now I got six tablets in here. I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. The things are beeping. The delivery guys are trying to pick up from five restaurants at the same time so they can make more money. And they're yelling in the restaurant, where's my order? Where's this? Where's that? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm trying to be there by myself during the day, have an mm-hmm. assistant at night mm-hmm. to help me in the front. And I'm mm-hmm. sitting in the computer. I'm trying to punch orders in. I'm trying to coordinate stuff in the back. And I literally... Literally, no joke. I lost it. I I literally lost it. I went from being like this massive mindset guru, like, yeah, we're all working together. Everything is great. We're going to figure it out to shut the F up. You'll get the food when I get it. Right. If you don't like it, leave. I love it. And and, and then I literally was screaming. I afterwards, I apologized to everybody. I walked in the kitchen. It was a Saturday. It was a Saturday. It was a Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. I walked in the kitchen. I apologized to my whole staff. And I said, guys, we're all off on Monday. Mm-hmm. The restaurant's closed. Mm-hmm. I need a day. Right. And literally from that point, I said to myself, I'm, 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 I'm going to lose it because I can't afford to put people on. But mentally, I can't afford to be here. My kids are at home crying when I leave the house. Right. I'm getting frustrated that, you know, these guys outside in the street are trying to work. Uh-huh. But, you know, like it's, you know, we're all trying to figure it out and we're not a takeout restaurant. And, and, and my guys in the kitchen aren't used to doing takeout either. They're used to plating meals, uh-huh. serving customers. Uh-huh. And now we're just throwing it all together. Uh-huh. And, and I literally was like, you know what? We're closed on Mondays for the next three weeks. I have to have a day off. Everybody's off. 
and that, and and, uh, and it was a, it was a learning lesson because even if you're going to go all in, you still have to have time for that mental reset. If you're not giving yourself the time to recuperate from your efforts each and every day, mm-hmm. you're you're doing yourself a disservice because you're not at your best. And I wasn't at my best anymore. And and it, and and it wasn't because I wasn't spending enough time at home. Right. It wasn't because I wasn't spending enough time at work. Right. It was because I wasn't giving myself enough time to rest and reset my right. brain right. for each and every day. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I got a few minutes left here, but I, I yeah. want to go through a couple of your favorite. I'm a foodie. I've been saying that from the jump. And, you know, I went through your social media timeline and. Got nervous because I could. I, I got nervous because it was looking good. You know, see, <laughs> see, that's how I have it. I, I see good food, man. I go, wow, man, that's really tasty. Uh, well, I mentioned earlier about the, the the lobsters and the nachos and the cheese and the pica de gallo and the cilantro. Tell me yeah. two of your favorite menu items that when someone goes to the Ed's Lobster Bar, that it really it really is is a winner. So, so listen, first and foremost, if nobody's ever been to the lobster bar, I literally say to them, if you've never been here, you should, somebody at the table should get a lobster roll, even if you're going to split it, because that's truly what's made the restaurant popular was the lobster roll. Mm -hmm. However, to me, the best dish on the menu is the lobster ravioli. It's all lobster inside. We make a lobster pasta, fresh made Mm -hmm. pasta with Mm -hmm. lobster paste in it. The cream sauce has a lobster reduction in it. And it's just bursting with lobster flavor. That, that's always something I tell people, listen, if, you, if you're looking to eat, it's a heavy dish. But that's my favorite dish on the menu. Uh, however, the lobster nachos, uh, since I put them on and they've been on the menu for just over a year now, that was kind of creation out of COVID. You know, you can't sit yes, still. Yes. You've, got, you've got to create stuff that travels. Yes. So nachos, everything packed separate. That That's selling like crazy at, at the restaurant. <laughs> and we're, we're frying the chips in the restaurant. They're hot. We're wow. making a cheese sauce that has a ton of lobster stock in it. Mm-hmm. So this way you're getting a lot, a lot of flavor. I use that same sauce in the lobster mac and cheese. Woo! And then, you know, fresh pico de gallo every day. Chopped lobster, pickled jalapenos. It's a traditional, it is a traditional <laughs> nacho dish, but with chopped lobster in it and 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 lobster reduction. So to me, that that's like a that's a go-to dish now. Absolutely. And you know, we move through so many fresh oysters in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's 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 something you don't want to pass up eating oysters in the restaurant because we turn through oysters like crazy. Well, my man, you got me with pickled. See, I listen to when people talk. When he said pickled jalapeno, I went, that's my man right there. Because I hate it when people put fresh jalapenos on nachos. I don't understand where that's coming from. But my man, it was great talking to you, Ed. I really appreciate you Thank coming you on so Money Making Conversation, that man. That was fantastic. I, I loved it. So it if you're great. not there and you hear somebody say Stephen A. Smith came into your restaurant, know your boy Rashawn McDonald. Because I'm not going to be recognizable. He's going to be recognizable. Your boy Rashawn McDonald brought him in there, okay? Well, I'm going to recognize you, Rashan. That's awesome. I really appreciate this day. This was fantastic. You're a lot of fun, and I love the energy. I love the vibe. You got it going. Hey, man, you're a beast, man, and I say that in a strong compliment, man, and you stay, stay <laughs> successful, and you will see me this year in your restaurant. I promise awesome. you that. Much appreciate okay? it. Thank you so much. All right. If you want to hear any of my interviews or see any of my interviews on Money Making Conversation, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. You've been listening to Money Making Conversations with Rashawn McDonald. Please join us next week and always remember, lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated. 
You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations, Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week, I sat down with my new friend, Dr. Tabitha Carr, who's become the leading authority in women's health and wellness. She's the founder of the vegan-based Good Girl Chocolate that's been featured at Grammys and the Oscars. She was also the 2020 grant recipient of Beyonce's Be Good Foundation. Here's what Dr. Tabitha Carr had to say. I don't say, oh, I have a healthy chocolate. I say, I have a chocolate that supports this lifestyle that's right. free of the gluten, the soy, you know, the dairy, supporting the vegan, the paleo, and the Whole30 lifestyle. We also have a sugar-free chocolate that has xylitol when it comes to alternative sweeteners for the diabetic and for the keto community. If you were to listen to this full interview with Dr. Tabitha Carr, it's available on Money Making Conversations. Dot com.